Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation improvement profession. The Actus podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today, Wednesday, May 8th, marks our 122nd program. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome. I'm joined today by my co-host at left, Laurie Prescott. Laurie is the CDI Education Director for us here at Actus in Middleton, Mass. Uh, she is the developer and lead instructor for our Actus Bootcamp line and is an Actus subject matter expert by way of background. Uh, Laurie is a former CDI manager and a nursing manager with experience in med surge, ICU, PACU, and endoscopy. So welcome to the program, Laurie. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. Okay. Next, I'd like to introduce our industry guest, a familiar face to uh, listeners of the Actus podcast. We have with us today Richard Pinson. Richard is principal of Pinson and Tang and is based in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, after graduating from Vanderbilt University School of Medicine in Nashville, he completed his residency and fellowship at Vanderbilt and the University of Pennsylvania. By way of background, Richard is a fellow of the American College of Physicians. He's board certified in both internal medicine and emergency medicine and is a certified coding specialist. You may know him better as uh, co-author of our CDI Pocket Guide and our outpatient CDI Pocket, Pocket Guide focusing on HCCs. And I'm very thrilled to have him on today's program to handle a topic that's addressed in that pocket guide. Um, so welcome to the program, Richard. Well, Brian, it's really nice to be back with uh, you and Laurie. And thanks for uh, inviting me once again. All right. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'm going to start with a poll question related to today's topic. I'll ask you all uh, listeners to review this and pick the option that best pertains to you. So the question reads, is accurate documentation and coding of acute respiratory distress syndrome a problem in your facility or organization? And I'll leave that up to you to determine what I mean by problem. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but your options are, yes, it's an ongoing concern. Somewhat, it occasionally crops up. Uh, no, it rarely or never presents an issue. Don't know or not applicable. Again, is acute documentation, yeah, sorry, is accurate documentation and coding of acute respiratory distress syndrome a problem in your facility or organization? Your options are yes, ongoing concern, uh, somewhat occasionally crops up as a problem. Uh, no, rarely or never presents an issue for us. Don't know, are not applicable. All right, I'm showing we've got about 75%, close to 80% of our audience has now voted. So I'm gonna go ahead and close that out and we will, as we always do, come back to this poll a little bit later in the show. All right, as I mentioned, our guest today is Dr. Richard Pinson. Richard. Welcome to the program, and thanks for being a part of the Actus podcast, Talking CDI. I still need to 
catch myself every time because I keep wanting to say Actus Radio, but that's in the past. <laughs> um, but uh, today's topic was proposed by a listener. So you, as our listeners probably know, I say it incessantly at the end of every show, I, I encourage your questions and ideas for future shows. And this uh, came to me from a listener. So, um, but before we get to the, some of the specific questions, I thought we could start with some overviews, maybe for you, Richard. Could you talk a little bit about what uh, ARDS is and how you differentiate it from acute respiratory failure? And then maybe a little bit on when, when it does slide over into acute respiratory failure. So maybe some, some background for our listeners. Sure. Um, I think, uh, for one, uh, you know, whenever doctors see this, they usually recognize it, but it is a very uh, characteristic uh, syndrome with a unique uh, uh, pathologic process. Uh, ARDS is also known as acute lung injury, ALI, but there's no code for ALI, or there rather there is, it's uh, trauma. So that one's not going to work. The, ARDS is actually caused by uh, injury to the uh, alveolar membranes and uh, alveolar capillaries. And uh, this can occur in a number of situations like shock and sepsis, trauma, severe burns, Pancreatitis is a common situation, but also things like toxic inhalation. And uh, there are uh, often diffuse pneumonias like viral pneumonias. Uh, massive transfusion is one. There's an interesting syndrome called transfusion-related acute lung injury, or T-R-A-L-I, trolley. And even one unit of blood can cause this. So a uh, very interesting uh, situation for people to be on the uh, lookout for. Uh, but whenever these alveolar membranes and capillaries are damaged by any of these things, there's exudation of fluid into the alveoli, interstitial edema. And uh, by definition, ARDS always includes severe hypoxemic respiratory failure uh, because the definition of ARDS requires one, the sort of characteristic x-ray findings and also acute respiratory failure as measured by the PO2 PF ratio. I think people are familiar with that by now, especially from the CDF pocket guide. And you really have to have severe uh, respiratory failure. The PF has to be less than 200. Um, or if the patient's intubated and on PEEP or CPAP, it has to be under 300. And even on ring, I mean, on um, in a normal situation, the patient just has uh, respiratory failure, taking oxygen. Without ARDS, the PF ratio less than 300 is respiratory failure. So uh, it's, it's a very strict uh, diagnostic standard and has to always be associated with severe hypoxemic respiratory failure. Hmm. And I guess 
the only thing uh, I didn't mention is what the characteristic uh, imaging is. The chest X-ray will uh, show uh, what's a bilateral diffuse uh, alveolar passages that mimics uh, almost exactly uh, uh, severe pulmonary edema, cardiogenic pulmonary edema. And it's worse than what we call dependent areas. If an X-ray is taken with the patient upright, it'll be in the lower lobe. If they're supine, all this fluid will be posteriorly. Uh, CT will show uh, coalescent opacities and sometimes called ground glass appearance. So that's kind of a detailed description, maybe more than you wanted. Ards <laughs> uh, at this point. No, that's that's really helpful. You know, I I appreciate you talking about the specific etiologies that contribute to it as well, um, and the fact that you're identifying that acute respiratory failure is going to be seen to accompany Ards. So, as right. a CDI looking at the chart. What are some of the clinical indicators or treatments that we would see related to ARDS and how would that differ from respiratory failure? How would we differentiate which diagnosis to to ask for in our record reviews? Right, that's a good question. And, and what you're looking for uh, uh, in that setting is, uh, of ARDS is your one, uh, Almost every patient has such severe respiratory failure. They're going to have to be in intensive care. But the key to the whole thing is, is there that chest ray, chest x-ray that's rather typical? Um, and is the PF ratio on the blood gas in those ranges? So you look at the PO2 on the APG, and you divide it by the FiO2, that's the fraction of inspired oxygen, so 40% is 0.4. Take the PO2, divide it by the FiO2, and if they're not intubated, it has to be less than 200. If uh, they are intubated with PEEP or uh, CPAP, then less than 300 uh, will meet the, uh, the definition. Um, so those, that's how we know the patient has it. And another clue would be the setting. One of those situations uh, that I kind of ran through uh, real quickly. Uh, actually, I think our CGI project guide uh, will be updated somewhat to reflect all this information a little more clearly as a, as a unique form of acute respiratory failure. Mm-hmm. All right. Richard, um, I know you mentioned to me earlier that it can be a little uh, tricky to distinguish uh, ARDS from other conditions that might cause acute respiratory failure. Wondering if you could talk a little about the distinction between ARDS and uh, pulmonary edema, for, for example. Right. I think... Often, the number one concern of the clinicians in this situation is 
is this uh, orange or is this cardiogenic pulmonary edema? Because they may look exactly the same on uh, imaging, and they can both be really severe. So I think uh, what the clinicians are looking for is, okay, what are the clinical circumstances here? What's the patient's history of cardiac disease? And when we do an echocardiogram, is there evidence of severe uh, uh, left heart failure, decompensated uh, heart failure? Um, there are some other invasive and aggressive techniques, you know, that can be used, but I think those are typically not necessary as long as they're looking at things like the echo and the clinical circumstances. Uh, once upon a time, I don't know how often this is done, we used to do something called the capillary wedge pressure with a catheter through left heart. I'm not sure that has to be done. Yeah. Most of us probably wouldn't need that to make a diagnosis based on those other things. Mm -hmm. Hey, Richard, before we move on, actually, I got a couple questions where someone was asking if you could, uh, they, they like the specific etiologies of ARDS, but could you review the, the, the PO2 or the PF ratios again? couple people had asked that. You might have been a little broken up when you said okay. that. So, uh, is there an echo or breaking up on? You sound okay to me. Um, okay. All right. Um, yeah, you look at the blood gas and you're looking at the PO2, sometimes called the PAO2. Uh, and uh, that's then uh, divided by the percent oxygen the patient is receiving because they're all going to be on oxygen. Uh, and that might be 40%, for example. And what you do is you convert that to a decimal, so 40% is 0 0.40. So if my PO2 is uh, 70, uh, on 40% uh, oxygen, then I divide 70 by 0.4. And if I, if my mental mass is good, I think that's 175. So that patient with the right x-ray and the right clinical setting would have a PF ratio of 175 and would have parts. Okay. I hope that was clear enough for everybody. Yeah. yeah, we I guess apparently I'm I'm hearing you pretty well, but some of our um folks have mentioned that you, there is an echo. So I don't know if you have a little uh speaker button on your computer, Richard, you might try to mute. It could be something through your computer speakers while could you're be. speaking. Yeah. But that's well, still here. There you go. I'm impressed with your math that you can do that in your head. Um, I, one, one question is we're um, talking about ARDS is we have a number of people that look at pediatric ch charts and we know that our, our pediatric patients are, are different 
creatures than the adults. I tend to call them aliens, but that's <laughs> they're they're very different. So how would ARDS present differently in a pediatric patient versus an adult? Uh, right. Um, well, there are uh, slightly different uh, uh, pediatric uh, descriptions of ARDS. Um, pardon me, Lori, I'm looking for something I can't find right now, so I might have to come back to your question. <laughs> that is fine. That is fine. I'm sorry. No, um, I, I do think that, um, you know, the one thing that we can walk away from is that pediatric patients are going to present differently, so we should never be applying adult standards to pediatric patients. So those that are looking at pediatric charts are, are going to have to um, take these um, criteria and know that they're going to be identified differently for children. Right. I think uh, uh, most children with this are, you know, newborns who have like uh, meconium aspiration mm -hmm. or it's a risk factor for it. So most of these kids uh, are not in the same setting, first of all, as uh, as adults. Uh, the X-ray picture is very much, I think, similar to the one in the, the adults with that sort of symmetrical uh, finding. So um, uh, that's an important uh, piece of information. Um, and uh, the information I was looking for, because I was afraid of this, is that the standards haven't been fully developed and agreed upon. But there mm -hmm. is, I'd like, like to give the source, a 2015 Pediatric Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome Consensus conference, and that's in Pediatric Clinical Critical Care Medicine, 2015, Volume 16, pages 428 to 439. And All I right. think uh, there's a lot of detail. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's helpful. I'll, I'll make sure we add that to the show notes there. Um, thanks, okay. Richard. Now, I thought maybe we could just wrap up you know, this we're um, for our listeners. Maybe they're tired of me talking about the Actus Conference, but it's my most favorite time of year, and I'm very excited about it. So I can't <laughs> help myself. Um, you you are going to be talking at the Actus Conference in May, um, in a couple weeks. The topic will, of course, not be ARDS, but um, it's one. It's a session that I'm very excited to host. Um, one of the coolest sessions I think we're going to have on the podium, if I could say so. You're you're going to be speaking with a Dr. Charlene Kompfer on the new Glim malnutrition criteria. So Charlene is one of the the, the co-authors of that new malnutrition, and she's approaching it from the sort of the academic perspective and the and the clinical perspective. You're going to be I think weighing in on some of the CDI encoding aspects and uh, so the in implementation um, angle. Could you maybe just talk about that a little bit for our audience who, who might not know you're going to be 
speaking with Dr. Comfer on this? Yeah, well, Dr. Comfer and I got in touch uh, and have had several conversations about it. So I'm trying to give her a perspective, which she uh, is, has not been exposed to of what we face and what auditors say and right. what some of our problems have been and are going to be with this. And she she has prepared this presentation. I'm not actually presenting, but the plan is for uh, uh, for she and I to sit down and have a brief conversation, that, uh, sort of a Q&A, where I'll ask her to address in a little more detail some of the things that uh, we have challenges with. See if she can give us help in dealing especially with the auditors if we're going to if these new GLIM criteria adopted, and we're going to start using them. Right. I'd like to see you present her with a pocket guide on stage, too, if you could. I think that would be a nice touch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a big, uh, we'll project a big picture of it. <laughs> uh, no, we won't. All right. <laughs> Well, let's, um, let's go back to our poll question that we asked at the outset of the show. Again, we asked our listeners whether accurate documentation and coding of ARDS is a problem in their facility or organization. So pretty even split here. 22% uh, describe it as an ongoing concern, but 22% say it, it is not really or rarely presents an issue. A majority of our audience, 44%, do have an issue with it sometimes, somewhat occasionally uh, crops up as a problem. 9% um, don't know, and 3% not applicable. Any any comments on this? Maybe to start with you, Richard, any, anything surprise you with these poll results? I am surprised because uh, my sort of general impression is that the people who end up managing these critically ill patients with ARDS uh, usually know the diagnostic standards and what they're dealing with, and it ought to be fairly characteristic. So uh, I was really interested by it's an ongoing concern for 22%, and it crops up sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, it would really be interesting to me if any of these folks, if there's some way we could collect some of the, well, what is the problem specifically that you are facing in some of these situations? But I don't know if we have a mechanism to do that on any large scale. Right. Well, you know, I did get several questions during the show that I couldn't get to, some denial examples. Right that people uh, uh, messaged me with that I could, uh, some mm -hmm. folks asking about if acute respiratory failure is POA and then develops ARDS, which gets coded. So th th there are some issues, uh, difference between treatment of ARDS versus cardiogenic pulmonary edema was another one. Um, it sounds like there are some issues and I can mm -hmm. take a look at what we've right. got here after the show. I didn't mention much about treatment, a lot of these people require ventilatory support, but they all require high flow oxygen, and it's usually otherwise supportive therapy until the condition resolves. Hmm. All right. 
Well, um, at this point, I do want to switch to our in the news segment. We are going to sort of conclude with in the news. Um, we have a big news item to drop. I'm sure you know we have been talking about this in CDI strategies and elsewhere, but if, for those that may not have heard, um, the 2020 IPPS uh, proposed rule is out. And of course, the IPPS rule always has potential impact for the CDI profession. And this year uh, in particular, it's, 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 uh, there are some significant changes that we did want to briefly review today. Um, before I get into these, I did want to stress that these changes are proposed and not final. So the IPPS proposed rule is subject to comment uh, CMS does take your comments into account before deciding what changes will be finalized in the IPPS final rule, which typically publishes in August uh, with changes effective October 1. So uh, these are proposed, but um, and we do see some changes from proposed to final, but we, we do expect probably some, if not many or most of these to potentially go into effect. Uh, so you should be seeing on your screen here sort of a high level summary that was published in our recent CDI strategies on what these changes are. Uh, really this year, what we've seen is um, some significant proposed changes to the CCMCC list, and in particular, the removal or downgrade of many uh, of these comorbidities commonly reviewed by CDI specialists. So just to highlight um, there's nearly 1,500 of these CCMCC designation changes, uh, as well as 324 changes to the ICD-10 codes. Um, you know, a large numbers of common CCs are now proposed as non-CCs. These include things like chronic heart failure, uh, hundreds of malignancies, cancer is particularly hard hit, uh, CKD stages four and five, some BMI codes, inflammatory bowel disease, um, and some transplant status codes, which also was interesting given the, the, you know, the acuity of those patients. Um, we're seeing some MCCs proposed to be downgraded to regular CCs. This includes ESRD, uh, MIs, VTAC, VFib, uh, cardiac arrest, some stage three and four pressure ulcers, um, there was some changes to malnutrition, so uh, severe malnutrition, including other severe protein calorie, was going to be proposed for a downgrade to a CC, but puzzlingly, we noted that moderate is proposed to be upgraded to an MCC. Um, there are 12 additions to the MCC list, upgraded from a CC, um, but other than moderate malnutrition, not a lot to talk about there other than uh, bacteremia as well as esophageal and, and enteral um, candi candidiasis. <laughs> Good job there, here. Brian. Yes, I know. I'm breaking out my vocabulary here. So, you know, what you see on your screen here is, is um, a summary of these changes. Of course, there's quite a bit more. Again, we, we noted almost 1,500 and many of these are in the cancer category. So uh, there are some links here um, to the proposed rule. I'll be posting this in the show notes. Uh, this table here in particular is, is gonna be helpful to you because it does show you exactly where uh, these changes are being proposed. And there is a link here as well to the proposed rule itself, which is quite lengthy as it always is at about 1800 pages. Um, but many of those pages are, are tables and uh, other 
kind of not super important data, but um, it's definitely a lot to read in there. Again, comments are due by June 24th. Actus is preparing a comment on this uh, with our regulatory committee in conjunction with our advisory board. But um, as you'll see in this week's CDI strategies, we are encouraging our members to write to CMS about this because the more comments they get on it, the better. Um, with that, I know we're getting close to the top of the hour, but I did want, Richard, your your take on these changes, both the extent and their nature. You know, quite a few um, and some different thoughts about the, the revenue impact here. So I'll open it up to you. Right, yeah. This is a, uh, um, uh, I'd call it a massacre of CCs and MCCs. Uh, not sure exactly how these decisions were made, but in any case, um, I think the hope is that these will end up being revenue neutral, and I think there's some indicators, and, and I think we can get more information from CMS to clarify this definitively, but I did notice that relative weights of most DRGs that had MCCs and CCs increased, some of them rather substantially. Uh, as you would expect, those that were without CC, MCC changed almost not at all because they wouldn't be impacted. The singlet DRGs weren't impacted. So it looks to me like there's a move towards the revenue neutrality, but I think we just need more information. And surprisingly, uh, very little change in CHF and COPD, and well, except the COPD weights went down. So, uh, but maybe overall, uh, with based on case mix. This will be revenue neutral, of course. I think Laurie pointed out something about uh, whether it's revenue neutral for each individual hospital or not is a different issue. Correct. Yeah, yes. any thoughts, Laurie? Um, you know, every year CMS aims for that revenue neutral, and but revenue neutral is for CMS. So looking at the um, outpay that CMS would put out over 2020 as compared to the year before, they try to be revenue neutral. The issue is each independent hospital, depending upon your patient population and the types of services you offer, some hospitals are going to, you know, they may stay about the same and not notice a difference, but um, I'm concerned that there's going to be a lot of hospitals that are likely going to see a difference because um, that revenue neutral doesn't apply to the hospital, it applies to CMS overall. So I would I would suggest that people look at these tables and start comparing that to their population to see, um, you know, how that's going to impact if, if these rules go through um, to help your um, revenue cycle department and your CFO understand the potential here, because I do think there are going to be some hospitals that are going to feel this impact pretty strong. Right. I just pulled up the rule itself and I noted that this is the Federal Register version, so it's a more readable 520 page version. They put it in three columns, but right here is how you comment. We're going to put this in CDI strategies this week. So um, it, this does give you the website 
and the instructions on how to comment or you can snail mail it as well regular mail they will accept that um, but again it is um, you can see here the the dates must be provided at one of these addresses below electronic or regular mail um, no later than 5 p.m. Eastern on June 24th, 2019. So we have a little time, but um, these, these are some important changes that we all need to be commenting on. Okay. Well, that is going to do it for today's edition of the Actus Podcast, Talking CDI. So we are going to be back here again, a little bit off schedule in one week. Uh, so next week, May 15th, for our next show, which uh, is Roadblocks to Accurate Coding, OCG, the Official Guidelines for Coding and Reporting, versus the UHDDS. I bet you didn't know there was a, a throwdown between those two <laughs> between those two items in the uh, Official Coding Guidelines. But um, excited about that show. This is, our, of course, our last show prior to the Actus Conference. We'll be taking a little bit of a break around the conference and coming back in early June. So join us back here again in one week for our next program. And I'm hoping to see many of our listeners down in Orlando for our 12th annual conference. As always, if you have any suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, other topics like ours, we'd love, I'd love to hear from you. Please send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. That will do it. Take care, everyone. <laughs>